Welcome, everyone, to Theology Live. Been a long time, but in the words of Isaac's favorite set of musicians, girl, this Christmas, you ain't going to be alone. That's good. That's uh, Boys to Men, their second album after Cooley High Harmony. Wait, that Christmas Interpretations. Okay. Christmas Interpretations is the second Boys to yeah, Men album? Yeah, it's confusing because their two is actually their third album, but it's their... It's their second non, like, yeah, non-holiday special. Non-holiday special. That's news to me that, that their Christmas album was their second album. All I know is that one track starts with the guy with the low voice saying, Girl, this Christmas, yeah, you ain't going to be alone. Michael Bass McCary got a good low voice. Hey, we have some people here already. Hello to Suzanne, Dina, Augustina, and then chatting on Michelle Serrano's handle, someone who called you dad and me Sam. Mm. So that's got to be one of Isaac's children. You know, truth children. be told... Um, Every so often, my kids will see something and be like, oh, man, Sam's would be way too tall for that. <laughs> that would hit his head. He couldn't fit in that car. I represent tallness as a category. I'm honored. I'll, I'll yeah. accept that. Some of you watching right now have only ever seen me online and don't even know that I'm super tall. You know, like when you see someone and like we look like we could be approximately the same height. People don't know that I'm seven foot nine. Hey, we got a guest, a special guest on the ones and twos tonight as well, ladies and gentlemen. For the for part one of our two part Christmas special, Stanley Vitus is here. Hey, everyone, welcome. Glad you're here, and back to you guys. Wow, that was professional of Stan. <laughs> he tried. <laughs> he did his best. All right, we got to get right into it. So we have two different Christmas specials we're doing this year. Mm-hmm. Tonight's special, which uh, has a two part title kind of in the Dickensian tradition, trying to sound old-timey. It's called Why Everyone is Picturing Christmas Wrong or Sam and Isaac Ruin Christmas. I like the second title better. I do too, but we needed them both for the clicks. Mm-hmm. Um, so me and Isaac in a minute are going to do our best to ruin Christmas for you by explaining all the things that you love and treasure about the Christmas story that aren't actually in the Bible. Yes, and the hope is because typically there's there's a set of things that people believe and we're obviously going to, we're totally going to be like, none of that's true. But then <laughs> there's also like this, this person who, and I, I don't, this may be you, you've done like, you know, you did 45 minutes of research and now you're an expert in Christmas and like, well, actually from a historical perspective, we know it's like, no, you're wrong. Too. Yep. There's almost always a well actually for the well actually We're going to get person. the well actually for the, yeah. Yeah. All of you who think you're ready. You ain't ready. You ain't ready. But speaking of people not being ready. We're going to start off today with a little Christmas game for Isaac. Um, what I have done is create a very short game, which I did not title at all, but it's, I'm titling it right now, Real Lyric, Fake Lyric, Christmas Edition. Okay. We've talked a lot of trash on this show about um, the utter dumbness, for lack of a better word, of holiday music. And I'm differentiating holiday music Important from Christmas music. Yeah. Because Christmas music, specifically Christmas carols, are some of the most theologically rich, powerful songs ever written in the English language. Holiday music is like... Pretty bad. Pretty bad. So what I've done is I've assembled a couple of examples of very, very famous Christmas songs. I didn't do anything obscure to make it hard or anything. I mm-hmm. literally, these are all hugely famous. And I'm going to give you the song title and then two options of Christmas lyrics. And you have to tell me which one of those lyrics is actually in that song and which one is fake. Does that make sense? Yes. So you'll get it more when we start playing. Feel free. Are these Christmas carols or holiday no, music? These are holiday songs. Okay, so let the I mean let the record show. If this was, you know, 
Christmas carols, I'd, I'd perform a lot better yeah. than what I'm about to do right no, now. No, I mean, I hope you do poorly because that will reflect well on you okay, and your knowledge. Go. So the, go. we're going to start. You play along online? Yeah, play along online. If you get it right, uh, go ahead and leave us a like. If you get it wrong, subscribe. Leave us a like. <laughs> subscribe. <laughs> so, okay, here's the deal. We're starting with the creepiest of all holiday songs, which is called Baby It's Cold Outside, a song where um, a guy is trying very hard to get a woman to stay at his house when she's repeatedly asking to leave. You familiar with that song? I think. It's a back and forth, like, call and response song where the, the girl is saying all the reasons she has What's to What's it called? Baby, it's cold outside. Yeah, I think, I think so. I got it. Cold? Yeah, give me these lyrics. So, all right. And, and it's, it's back and forth with the man and the woman speaking to each other. So both example lyrics okay. have one line each. So here's okay. one version. So here's, here's option one. He says, sorry, she says, I'm really starting to get tired. He responds, just come and take a seat by the fire. Okay, that's option one. Okay, that sounds real, but let's keep going. Option two, she says, my sister will be suspicious, and he replies, gosh, your lips look delicious. Option one or option two? Man, I'm going to have to tap into the powers that got me through elementary school, junior high, and high school, just guessing stuff <laughs> the whole way you through. You could phone a friend. <clears throat> Wait, this, these aren't the powers that got you through your doctorate? They're the same power. <laughs> I was going to say, got to be the same uh, power. I, number one sounds like the better lyric that would make sense, but uh, my just utter, my, my belief that, uh, you know, like commercial Christmas music is so bad makes me think number two is right. So I'm going to go with number two. Ding, ding, ding. Should have got a sound effect for this. That it, guy, right? It is number two, yeah, Suzanne pretty, Lopez. Pretty it's that's an actual lyric. It's already kind of a creepy song, and there will yeah. always be people who rush to its defense and say, "No, no, no, this is actually an empowered woman." Blah, blah. I don't know any of that. All I know is that Either song way, it's a says, dumb lyric. "My sister will be suspicious." Gosh, gosh. Yeah. Your well, the lyrics is just like it's bad because it's like the rhyme. It's like, yeah, and it's don't like, you know apples are nutritious? Yeah. It's like, well, it rhymes. There's a Stick type of the apple called the red delicious. The red delicious, very nutritious, now, suspicious. Let's my fake lyric that I made up is actually better than the real one. I'm just saying it is. Okay. Dina bless knew 100%. that. All right. Go. Second one. I'm, I chose this one, not because it's creepy, but because it's utter nonsense and a waste of time, like much holiday music. Okay. So which one of these really comes from the song jingle bell rock? All right. Option one. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. Jingle bells chime in jingle bell time. Dancing and prancing in jingle bell square in the frosty air. That's option one. Option two, jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. <laughs> jingle bells flip and jingle bells dip. Clinging and clanging for jingle bell fun in the setting sun. Number one is true. Correct. All right. Nailed it. And the only reason why... I think I, you made up that second lyric. I did. Did it sound like something I would it make It sounded up? like a little flow that you would do, yeah. <laughs> I, what, it does, when Except I read it. the last it, line, you're like, oh, this is sounding too much uh, like a little flow. I had to make so, it actually bad. Yeah. But, but I mean, like, that song is just utter nonsense. You're dancing and prancing in Jingle Bell Square. Stan, is Jingle Bell, Bell Square an actual place? Uh, yes. It is an actual place in Tennessee. Oh, all right. Thank you. Yep. A lot of our uh, online participants got that one correct. Okay. One more. Let's do one more. Okay. One more. Last we, one. No, we got two more, but it will be fast because okay, they're both lightning good. Round. All right. Lightning round. Which lyric really comes from the song, Here Comes Santa Claus? All right. Option one. Santa Claus knows we're all God's children. That makes everything right. So fill your hearts with Christmas cheer because Santa Claus comes tonight. It's option one. 
Option two, he is a miracle come to all if we just follow the light. So let's give thanks to the Lord above because Santa Claus comes tonight. I'm a phone a friend. Stan, what is it? It would be option two. Trick question. Those are both real. They're both in it. Actually, I was thinking that. <laughs> those lines, I thought that. Those <sighs> lyrics are so utterly insane. They were so bad. <laughs> well, the first one, I, I said, oh, it's definitely that pagan amalgamation of inserting some type of goodness yeah. in it. And then the second one was like. It just upped the ante on syncretism. Okay. Like this is just as a little theology lesson on Theology Live. This is called syncretism. When, <laughs> when you're. Your Santa stuff. Like, he is a miracle light, come to all he if we just follow the light? No, man. You got to follow the light if you want and Santa, Santa Claus And Santa Claus brings judgment, too. A lot of kids be getting cold. That's true. no presents. That's true. He brings judgment. That's the proper interpretation. Okay, last one. Ready? Last one. Which lyric really comes from Santa Baby? All right? Option one. Santa Baby, I want to yacht. And really, that's not a lot. I really do believe in you. Let's see if you believe in me. That's option one. Option two. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Which one comes from Santa, baby? Oh, man. <laughs> Do you, does everyone observe the difference between the garbage holiday music and the amazing Christmas Come carols? On. One more time. Listen to those two options. Ready? Santa baby. I don't want to read that first. I don't want to hear it again. <laughs> you don't want to uh, give the second one. So we get this transitions transitions to deeper theology. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see hail the incarnate deity pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Now that's just four lines. That's half of one stanza of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It's a theology lesson, dude. Going downhill the last 150 years. Yeah, things have not gone well for us. But I want a yacht. It's really not a lot. That's Hark the Herald Angels. It's a great song. All right. Should now we get into it? let's ruin Christmas. Let's ruin Christmas for everybody. So here's the deal. We all, in our culture at least, have a picture in our minds of all of the things that make up the Christmas story, like that nativity night. And so, Stan, pull up that picture for us. Um likely whatever kind of, you know, associations you have involve some or all of the kinds of elements you see in this picture. That's just a standard nativity scene on the screen. But you know that Mary rides her donkey to Jerusalem. Joseph leads that donkey. They get to Jerusalem, but Jerusalem is packed with people. And so she and Joseph go to inn after inn and all of the innkeepers are turning them away until yeah. finally one of the innkeepers says, Hey, I don't have room in my inn, but around back, I've got a stable. Yeah. And so you can sleep back there with the animals. And so she goes back there. Her donkey finally gets to take a rest. She gives birth to Jesus in the stable behind the inn. Meanwhile, shepherds are told of the birth by a choir of singing angels. Mm -hmm. And three kings from the Far East arrive to deliver gifts to the newborn baby. Yep. Now here's the problem. Half of what I just said. Half? Fully half of what I just said or more. 70%. 70% of that is not in the Bible. Mary and Joseph is right. Mary and Joseph. And shepherds. Shepherds and angels <laughs> yeah. without some of the details. So the bottom line is the stuff that we picture as part of the Christmas story, it's really hard to separate like what came from pop culture yeah. and what 
is actually part of the biblical story because we've seen nativity scenes, we've seen pictures, we've read books, cartoons, and right up front, disclaimer, we're not trying to say like everything's whack if it's not perfectly, you know, only showing what's in the Bible and yeah. not adding any other details. That's not the point, but we just want to get a clearer picture of what's there. And along the way, there's there's reasons why it's and better. And some of this along the way, it'll be like, okay, you need to know some Greek or some Hebrew in order to get this. But independent of that, a lesson from this will be you can just pick stuff up so much from culture that you can read the Bible and not even pick up on the fact like, wait a second, is that the way I've pictured it doesn't even make sense. Like yeah. that's impossible. It doesn't even match the image in my head. Yeah. You actually, you go, you go the other way and you import the images you picked up from movies and TV shows and stuff right onto what yeah. you're reading. So although it might not be some theological train wreck because of this, a very important lesson that this happens all the time. Yeah. And you're doing and it, it when you're reading other more dangerous misunderstandings into the Bible yep. regularly. All right. So let's start with a fairly innocuous one. I said Jerusalem, by the way, and Dina Bless already corrected me by saying but no, Bethlehem. The whole point was that everything you were saying is wrong. That's true. I did that on purpose, Dina. 70% of what you said was wrong. Thanks, Isaac. Uh, Isaac's right. He got it. I was doing that. I said Jerusalem on purpose. That's what I meant yeah. to say. We're going to show how pretty much everything was wrong. Yeah. All right. So I do this with the sermons most of the time, too. Halfway through, you just, I just, I just get text message. Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> wrong. Wrong. That's just me in the back texting. All right. Innocuous one to start off with. Okay. Everybody pictures Mary riding a donkey. Quick question. Without looking at your Bibles, people at home, is there a donkey that's part of the nativity story in any of the four Gospels? It's a trick question because the nativity story isn't in all four of the Gospels. But the ones that's that have true. a birth narrative, none of them talk about a donkey. No donkey. No donkey at all. And so this one is, is really interesting because like the donkey is a big deal. There's entire like Christmas cartoons that center on the donkey. Yeah, good one. We watch... One with my kids called the Star. Oh, the Star's awesome. Super good. My now, daughter, clearly they're taking liberties. Yeah, and that's which fine. is fine. They're retelling a story. They don't have all the details. The donkey talks in that. Yeah, the donkey's name life. is Boaz. The Ruth, the sheep's name is Ruth. Yeah, it's pretty good. cool detail. There's an older one too called like the Little One or something. It's an old Disney cartoon. I don't know, Stan. You remember those old ones? You were alive. Yeah, Stan. From when you were a kid in the '40s, is there? Um, do you remember? Do you remember the the Disney cartoon called the Little One? Uh, yeah, it was from Tennessee. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see if we can give you an opportunity to hit that a third time. So here's the nerdy detail. The reason why we all picture a donkey, um, well, I shouldn't say the reason why. The first time a donkey is ever associated with that story comes in the second century, 145 AD, and it's in a pseudepigraphal, non-biblical work called the Proto-Evangelion of James, or sometimes called the Gospel, Gospel of, James. of James. So there's tons and tons and tons of these. They're fake gospels and fake Bible-like books mm -hmm. written by people who were not the people they were claiming to be after the Bible was written. And um, very, very early on in church history, those things got kind of weeded out and were not treated mm -hmm. as authoritative. Yeah. But sometimes the, the kind of fictional retellings of things can become so circulated that they become more dominant in the kind of culture imag imagination of the people. So for example, um, some Christians have watched the movie, The Ten Commandments, more than they've read the book of Exodus. So oftentimes they think the way stuff happens in that movie is actually how it happens in the book of Exodus. We'll say, yeah, in the Bible, you know when this happens, like, no, that, that didn't happen. Yeah. It just happened. That was just Charlton Heston. Yeah, or like Prince of Egypt, yeah, same exactly. kind of thing. Yeah, it's a really good point. And so, that, so who knows if that's why we all 
have a donkey as part of the yeah. story now. I mean, that's yeah. very, that's pretty dang early, even though it's not biblical and not reliable. And the, that um, Proto-Evangelion of James is a like kind of a retelling with way more detail of the nativity story. Yeah. And it has Joseph getting Mary set up on a donkey and bringing her in. Um, but yeah, other than that, no donkey in the story. Now, again, my, my three-year-old daughter is very attached to the donkey Boaz from the movie, the star doesn't, doesn't bother me, but let's get to some more serious this ones. Will be the, yeah. Let's get to some good ones. Here's the big one. Okay. How many Christmas songs talk about how there's no room in the inn? No room in the inn. And in fact, you'll even find, and this is uh, this just occurred to me right now, but this is actually of theological significance. There are whole songs that are written about, and the metaphor behind the song is there's no room for Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus at the inn in Jerusalem. Don't let your heart be like that inn. In Bethlehem. Did I say Jerusalem again? Yeah, that time you weren't trying to be wrong, though. Yeah, I definitely was. I was trying to the first time on purpose. Yeah, for sure. But that time I wasn't. Man, I got to get that together. But so, you know what I mean? The whole point is, hey, in Bethlehem, yeah, the, the whole there's no room in the inn. You let your heart not be like those inns with no room for Jesus. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I might have done one of this like eight years <laughs> ago, but there's so many sermons. Yeah. Uh, so many sermons. I mean, probably in the chat, you've listened to sermons about you need to have room in your heart. Type, type not of thing. like the and if you heard Isaac do a sermon like that, could you give us a like and a subscribe? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think I've ever done that. So again, this is a ubiquitous image: is Mary and Joseph go up to the door of the inn. The innkeeper comes out and goes, "No rooms here." You know, mm. there's a no vacancy sign or whatever. But it's your what you picture is, and this is not your fault because this is so ubiquitous in pop culture. But you picture they go up to a place where you pay for lodging, and they are told. There's no rooms here. Super pregnant lady who's like in labor yes. right now. Um, so what's wrong with that picture? Okay, uh, like ten things. Like I might, I might be able to remember all of them, but first off, um, there is no way in the culture that existed in Bethlehem, and by the way, probably for all cultures, but especially Eastern cultures. Yeah, first century no Middle Eastern culture that the people there are going to put a pregnant woman out like the, their hospitality would have done whatever they could have to find place for that. Yeah. To this day in that part of the world, if you show up on a, the front porch of someone, they will invite you in and give you a meal before they even ask what you're up to. Yeah, even if they don't know you there, I mean, just it's, it's unthinkable in our culture if a pregnant lady knocked on your door. Right. And even if you only had one room in your house type of thing, you would accommodate that person. Um, but even more so in a, in an ancient culture, um, an ancient Eastern culture Two, Joseph has family there. That's He's the whole reason his place is re residence type of thing. Not residence, but where, where he was, where he hails from, if you will. So there's like, okay, even your family is not giving you right. a, a, a place to be third, his genealogy, Joseph's he's going there because he's from city of David, Bethlehem. Um, that was a little jab, not Jerusalem. Yeah, just a little, <laughs> little jab. Um, I deserve it. He's of the royal line. Like, there's no way in this world, even if there was an inn. Right. And that's what I would say is, is point number five, which is inns like that. If they, I mean, what you picture as an inn didn't exist. Yeah. And if they did, they weren't in a city the size of the city that they're in. They're not going to like a massive no. metropolitan Bethlehem area. Bethlehem is not Jerusalem. Right. Oh, Bethlehem's totally, totally not, not Jerusalem. I get it, Isaac. <laughs> So, and then, you know, so you have all of those reasons that that doesn't add up. 
And then on top of that, you have this issue of the word in. Right. Um, which is a Greek word. Uh, I just almost forgot it. Cataluma. 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 Um, that, like, almost with certainty doesn't mean in, and it certainly doesn't mean in as we conceive of it now. Right. Yeah. It's th- there's actually a different Greek word that seems just from context to be something closer to that mm-hmm. because you do get um, in the story of the Good Samaritan. Yes. In Jesus's parable, the Good Samaritan takes the beaten man to a place where he is put up in a room and the Samaritan man pays for his lodging. And that's a, that's a different Greek word Rokion. entirely. Yeah. Pa- uh, Pandokion. 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 And, and, but a Cataluma, not only is it not an in, like every other place it's used in the New Testament, it's very clearly something different. Like it's the exact same word that's used of the upper room. Yes. So when Jesus says like, hey, hey, go and like get us this place where we can have dinner for Passover, the room that's described yes. and it gets translated upper room is a Cataluma. It just yes. means guest room. It's a guest room, a different room, upper room, or as we'll see the extended part of an existing room. Not necessarily like how we picture it like, they're not they're they're not like us where it's like there's a hallway and then there's a door. These are right. poor people's homes. Um, so so what likely happened at this level, and we'll, and we'll get to the stable next, is so you know again culturally there's not inns. Jesus is going to his home. Jesus is going to his father's hometown. So Joseph brings Mary to his relative's house, whatever that would be, where it'd be normal to stay in the guest room. But he's not the only family in town. Oh, house is full. I forgot. Yeah, go ahead. There's so many reasons just so we can f- totally demolish this. Yeah. Uh, the image that we've inherited is that Mary is um, like, they barely get there on time. Yeah. And Mary's like about to give birth and they're panicking. It just so happens. If you actually read the text, it says Joseph makes arrangements. They go there. And while they are there, that's right. Mary needs to give birth. So if we actually slow down and read the text, the, the kind of idea that's being presented is Joseph made proper arrangements. Yeah. And he goes there, and there would have been people willing to be hospitable. There would have been family there. There would be no need for any of this. But the image, again, is she's just there, and she's going to have yeah. to give birth. They just made it in the middle of the night. Which, in that case, you have to, like, assume Joseph is an idiot. Right. Like, we're nine months, and it's... But we got to make better travel right now. Right now. Uh, He doesn't ask any of the the houses, the family members that are there. And then on top of that, um, all the residents of Bethlehem, all the residents, every last one is the most like they're just jerks. This woman's in labor and you're like, sorry, hotels full. Right now we're going to read just so you guys know, because you might be wondering why we're not already. We're going to read the story from Luke when we're done talking about all these details, just so you can see what you'll probably be shocked by is how little is actually there yeah. compared to what you picture. But yeah, so, so, so the house is then, I mean, we get to that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he, so picture what's actually happening. Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem, bunch of other family is in town. So the, the guest room, the Cataluma is full. Yeah. So they show up and they are, well, put in the stable, right? Now <laughs> this is where things just get kind of bizarre. Because there's never a mention of a stable ever anywhere in the text. Mm-hmm. So that image of like the innkeeper going like, well, I've got a stable. Yeah. All we infer it, stable from manger. Right. We infer stable from manger and the fact that there are animals present. Yes. Um, and so once again, historically, first century Jewish homes did not typically, and that's being very generous with the way I'm saying that, have a separate outdoor stable type area. The way that it would be set up is one 
large room or maybe two rooms where you have the Cataluma and then the other room where the yes. family There's one family sleeps. room. And we know there's tons of reasons. There's records of this in, in the documents, in archaeological evidence. We have one kind of family room. And some of them had a guest room. Yeah, that might be on the roof, uh, the flat yeah. roof of the house sometimes. And this is where the biggest kind of moment of cultural distances where this sounds totally bizarre to us, but they brought their animals inside at night yes. into the house where they all lived. Um, and there was a variety of reasons for that, especially during the winter. It kept the house warmer. They used animal dung as fire starter and stuff like that. And it kept animals safe, like from injury, theft, yeah, getting lost. It was both lost. for the animal safety and for the warmth in the winter type of thing. So put all of that together and there's no stable mentioned. It just says that there's no room in the Cataluma. So they lay him in a manger. That's all yeah. you get. So what you, and what you need to picture is, is there's one larger kind of room, the family room and maybe attached to it, depending upon the house and how much money you had, there's this extension of that family room. And that would be called the Cataluma, the guest, the guest room. And both of those would have a downward slope going to the front side where the animals would be in the night and they would be brought in in the middle of the night and they'd be let go during the day, the daytime. Now here's where we can give some kind of helpful other examples of this because you know, some of this stuff you don't get intuitively by reading the story. Now that's actually probably a good time to just read it. You want to pull up my screen, Stan? So check this out. We'll just, just to keep it short, we'll start at verse four in Luke chapter two. It says, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time had come for her to give birth. Hear that? That's what Isaac talked about before. Not, and they arrived barely in time while they were there. So they're already there when she goes into labor. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the Cataluma. Now, what's your opinion on this, Isaac? This is something I'm genuinely curious about. Why in a solid translation like the ESV do I still see the word in there? I don't know. All right. If anybody in the chat knows, <laughs> it, now if you, if you go to, in fact, I can, I can do this on my program here. Um, you'll see a few different options. So another translation that's really reliable, that's commonly used is the NASB. I can pull that up. It's a bad translation. I don't know why they do it. Yeah, and look, there. this one also says in, that's NASB. Let's see what the NIV says. We'll just do this a couple more times. Because they're, okay, NIV. There was no guest room available for them. I happen to know CSB also goes with guest room. CSB, so, guest room. So, so yeah, that's, that's enough examples of that. But it's, it's just one of those strange things where it's a misleading translation that seems like an odd holdover from like the King James translation. Um, mm. But again, part of this, I guess, and this is, this is something that you're more familiar with than me, is that a lot of our historical information about Second Temple... Yeah. Judaism is relatively recent, like it's ongoing scholarship. Yeah, so the, like the stuff we're saying isn't like, well, it depends. So it's interesting in, in in our place of the world, this stuff is like very new information. It's archaeological evidence. It's scholarship discovering it. But what's what's very interesting is if you read Bible translations from the eighth and ninth century that are from 
um, not in Hebrew or Greek, but are done by other cultures as the gospel spread. So you may see an Arabic translation. Mm. They'll fill in the blanks to let you know. Because they're still, they're connected to the They're connected tradition. to the culture. So they'll, um, they actually, I believe, in one of the translations is this like, let you know explicitly, like it's in the house. Yeah. Like it writes it in for you because they're aware that as the further you go out, you might miss some of these things. And but, they're pulling their hair out watching Western cartoons where they're being turned away at hotels. Yeah. But where we're at, it's just, it's the new archaeological evidence. It's new scholarship. So it is fairly new. But what's interesting is like, as we read that, there, it, none of it's there. There's no donkey. There's no getting turned away at places. It never says that. Yeah. All, the only thing it says is the time to give birth happens while they're there. And she places him in a manger because there's no room in the guest room. Yeah. Every other thing that we talked about is just added by kind of pop culture images of the yeah. story. And um, you have a couple of cool examples of, of other parts of the Bible that illustrate the fact that this is the way yeah. houses were set up, just so you don't have yeah, to take so it our word one for of the, it. One of the things that I always like to do is um, archaeological evidence is great. Um, historical information is great. But what we want to do is rely on the Bible to interpret the Bible to the best of our ability. Um, that doesn't mean you exclude the other stuff. It just means, you know, 99% of all human beings didn't have access to modern-day scholarship to interpret stuff. So you want to find clues in the text. Now, uh, and, and it's all over the Bible, but you just kind of don't notice it because our houses don't function like that. So there's a weird story in the book of Judges about a guy who is going to go into battle, and he then makes a promise to God. Jephthah. Jephthah, and he's like, the first thing that comes out of my house, I will sacrifice to the Lord. Now, good, good side note here. This is a principle we've talked about before, but very important when you're reading the Bible, especially the Old Testament. A lot of the main characters do stuff that is not commendable. Bad ideas. So that was a bad idea to say, God, I'm so stoked on what you did for me that I'm going to sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my door. Bad idea to make a promise to God. And in the story, the first person that comes out is his only daughter. Now, what you realize is that his assumption was that the first things that were coming out of the door of his house yeah. is the animals that that leave there, not his daughter. And if you thing. don't know about that, then you as a modern Western person go like, why on earth would you offer to sacrifice the first thing that walks out of your house? It's, it's going to be a be human a being. And it seems weird. Well, how, you know, how'd this animal get in this dude's right. house? <laughs> like someone set this guy up. They overheard him making this promise. Like the story doesn't make sense unless you have that piece of information. There's another interesting one. Um, in again, bad, bad idea, but King, Saul uh, seeks out a witch's advice, a right. medium, an Endor. And in that story, the medium basically says, let me, let me get this fattened calf that's in, fattened cow that's in my house. Oh, yeah. As a, as a part of that's the- ne I've never noticed that one. Yeah, and it's like, what? There's this lady out here and she's got this, she's just chilling and randomly, she randomly- Mediums do weird stuff, And by stuff, the way, in the man. text, it says it's in the night. He, go, he goes to consult her in the night because he wants to be in secret. So she's brought all her animals he's in. He's disguised. He's going in secret. She's brought her animals in. It's the middle of the night. And she's like, oh, let me get this fattened cow. It's like, well, what's it doing chilling there? Well, it's that's normal standard practice. In addition, um, again, you're picturing like one major room with maybe a guest room and then it slopes down to- kind of where the manger would be. Um, so it's really kind of one giant room. So Jesus says no one put, gets a lamp and kind of hides it. You 
light the lamp and it lights the whole house. house. Not room. Not house. Ro- it lights the whole house. Now, mm. probably the best one comes from Luke 10. I think it's Luke 10. Let me Luke 13, I think. Luke 13. If you're thinking of the, Luke yeah. 10 is, uh, I think it's the Good, Good Samaritan. Now I'm getting confused. Yeah. Uh, Luke 13. In that, Jesus performs a miracle on a woman and it's, it, he heals her and he says that he luos her. The, the, the Greek root, root word is luo. And it means to loose. And in some translations, it says untie. Um, and basically, the religious elite are upset with him. And they're going like, you know, he shouldn't be healing someone on the, t- on the Sabbath. Yeah. And, and he says you pull it, the, by pull, the way. Can you pull this one up? Yeah. His response makes it so painfully obvious how this is working. Yeah, check this out. Pull it up, Stan. So... Jesus says, woman, you are apaluo from your disability, freed. Untied from your disability, which is way cooler than freed, by the way. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glor- she glorified God. It says that because she was bent over. That was her. She's stuck in, in a hunched over position. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day, which this is, that's just so cold, by the way. Like, yeah. hey. You got six days to come get healed, lady. So he's luoed. He's untied this woman from her sickness. And he said, and this guy says, don't do that on the Sabbath. And Jesus's response is, then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath luo his ox or his donkey from the manger, Mm -hmm. by the way, and lead it away to water it. And so his basic response is, you guys told me I can't heal this woman on the Sabbath. I can't untie her, which is the word he used. He goes, but you on the Sabbath, you'll untie a donkey from the manger and lead it out. Yes. Because the normal routine is every single day you bring the animals inside and then you take them outside. And so he's not talking about like them working on the Sabbath in some no. inappropriate way. He's saying you just, you untie You're and You're not considering that work type of thing. And right. he's doing the same thing, but in this healing. So the image that you should have is, is one that says, in the first century Jewish world, everyone is going to rush to help a pregnant woman giving birth to a baby. Joseph is is welcome. This is his home home hometown. Um, she he, she was she gave birth in this small. It was it was one that was, you know, they're peasants. They're not rich, but they'd ha- whatever they had, they did their best to take care of this this woman. Yeah, and and that paints a more important theological picture as well because you're seeing kind of the plight of all of God's people in that moment, rather than it sort of being just a, you know, it's Mary and Joseph against the world kind of thing. It's like, no, you're, this, the hardship is brought on by the imperial rule you're under, that you're being sent yeah. to do this thing. And when you're there, there's not room because everyone's packed in and you're, there's more of a, like a genuinely in this together. There, there, there's even more too, I forgot. So uh, the shepherds that come, we'll get to them in a second, but yeah. for a moment for now, is that if those shepherds rolled up to that place and Jesus is in a stable, they would be like, no, we're going to do whatever we can. We're going to get you to one of our homes. This is the king. They they know he's the king. They're not going to, they're going to say, no, no, we're going to go. This guy's going to run up ahead. He's going to go tell my wife, we're going to make accommodations for you, for you right away. Yeah, absolutely. So really a, a, a powerful image and, and one that when you see it correctly, I think changes the feel of the entire story. And again, I said this at the beginning, but just to be clear, 
I'm not bothered by a nativity scene with a stable, I'm not bothered by a donkey in the story. Um, it's none of that like offends me or I don't, I'm not like going like, well, you know, Ellie to my daughter, there's actually not a donkey that's, you know, like, yeah. that's cause there's, and the, the, this scene is there's animals there. But right. what, what I want to focus on is that that's a, that's a horrible people, a view of yes. the people of in first century Israel to think that first century Jews would just all be like, no, to this pregnant woman. That's not an, a historically accurate picture. They would have done what they can. And the story tells us with what little they had, they made it happen. The guest rooms are filled. Tradition would be that the, you'd remove the men and the women would take care of the pregnant woman. So all the men probably go in on this side of the house. All the women rush to care for Mary. The, sh- the shepherds show up and they, with what little they have, yeah. they do their best to create a warm, comfortable environment for baby Jesus. Yeah, and between Matthew and Luke, it's, it's suggested, it's not crystal clear, but it's suggested that they're in Bethlehem for a while, which would not have been abnormal the way that people lived their lives in this time period and place. So it's not like they're just there until they can, and then we got to get out of here because we don't even have to have a place to stay. Oh, and another thing. Keep them coming. Keep them coming. Here's another one. Because uh, we said we'd ruin the, the like, well, actually, because, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> this, is the, we sh- this is the best. One of the well actuallys that people do is actually it wasn't a stable. It was a cave. It was a cave. Now I've probably, actually I'm certain I've done, I at some point. I, <laughs> that's I youth pastor that. Isaac. That's yeah. Uh, it's not a cave. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a house with a guest house. Um, it's a manger cause all the houses had mangers in it. It's, it's not a cave. Now the reason why people get that is for two reasons. One, um, sometimes in this region of the world, homes were built into existing kind of cut out caves type t- type of thing. But that, that's not the case that's go- going on here. Um, and then the other reason is that Gospel of James has has that taking place in a cave. So, so the, but, but in the immediate, but one of the important things, and I think you mentioned it, the Gospel of James wasn't aware. We know it's fake. Like every scholar knows it's yeah. fake because it doesn't know Jewish custom. It doesn't know Jewish law. It doesn't, doesn't know, know geography. Geography. It's just some guy making this story up after the fact. And so the idea that, oh, historically it would be in a cave is based upon, yes, the idea that sometimes they built these homes into this, but that a guest room is not that. And then it's this the Gospel of James, which Jerome, within a couple hundred years of this thing, is like saying this is, this, this is garbage. Yeah, and the entire thing. council of Nicaea is going, this doesn't, belong yeah. in scripture. So, so yeah, that, that, that's a great example of the kind of halfway, you know, push your glasses up and go, well, they didn't have stables. So it was a cave where they kept the animals. Mm-hmm. Um, and the truth is most people who will assert something like that, it, one follow-up question of like, oh, wow, how do you know that mm-hmm. is all it will take to. Yeah. And again, we're sort of doing the, um, actually too, but the greater kind of meta message of this all is, is really, I want people to, to see how much you can let things just influence you that you're reading the Bible and yeah. you're just, you're just inserting this stuff instead of just you, reading it, what it of says, taking it out. Yeah. Now here's a quick one. That's a very good example of exactly what you just said. So Luke two, the shepherds, everyone knows that the angels sing to the shepherds, right? Yes. They, they sing it. They, they, they sing glory to God in the highest and yeah. on earth. So in Excelsis day. So you have a choir of angels in the sky singing. Now, here's, here, here's a sad one. Go to my screen here, Stan. Luke 2, verse 12. Or let's start at verse 10. And the angel said to them, this is the angel talking to 
the shepherds. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and... Singing. No. Praising God and saying. I thought they were having a little choir concert. Now, this is, this is one of the weirdest ones because it, it doesn't say they don't sing, but there's a Greek word that means sing, and that's not the word it yeah. uses. It just says they... Now, I think part of what happens here, and this is a, a, a kind of it's a minor but not insignificant theological point, that um, it says they're praising God, and that makes the modern Christian assume someone is singing because when we... Pr- like praising God always means singing. Worship is song. But it says they're praising God and they say, "Yeah, Glory bring that to back God up if you can." Because here's another thing: most people go, they they sing. This is what they say: "Glory to God in the highest, and yes, on earth peace among men, peace and goodwill towards men." That's what everyone yes. says. But look what it actually says, everybody: "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased." It's not everybody. That's that dude is a huge, huge difference. And it's another one of those things where you go, how it's, it's very easy to imagine how the cultural version of that would soften and be like, well, for the Christmas special, let's have them say glory, you know, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace toward and goodwill towards humanity. Yeah. And, and there's a big move of that theologically in, in this country's history, actually about kind of universalism and that the brotherhood of humanity means that God loves everybody to the, to such a degree that everyone will be saved no matter what. Sure. Maybe a couple of them are so bad that they don't make it in, but for the most part, he's happy with everybody and gets in rather than the kind of exclusive message of you do know you have to bow to this. Yeah. King. Peace is coming to those with whom God is pleased. Now, um, just to reiter- ruin your ruining Christmas. <laughs> yeah, we're ruining it one bit at a time. And just just to reiterate again, like our church is putting on a Christmas presentation this weekend, and yeah. the angels in that presentation are going to sing that line. Yeah, it doesn't bother me. Don't be the um, snob that um actually's yeah. people all the time. But the main point again that we're trying to make is you've probably, if you're a Christian, read that story a bunch of times and just pictured angels singing mm-hmm. because you're not. You're, you're letting your association drive the imagery yep. rather than the text. And so it's not a big deal there, but that bad habit will absolutely cause you to misunderstand stuff in much more important places. Um, and, and again, the most beautiful thing about this section is not the angelic choir, but the fact that the people who come have the good news, the gospel yeah. pronounced to them are the dirty outsiders who are not welcome in polite company. The lowly normally. shepherds get invited into the small peasant house with the guest room and the manger and everyone does what they can to receive the newborn king now by way of segue it's not just lowly shepherds that get invited right because like kings are there yes there's three kings there are three kings when i was a kid i thought they were of orientar thought that was one word Mm. three kings of orientar so there's a lot to ruin right here (laughs) but i i this one is crazy Okay, this one is shows you how you can even sing stuff and say stuff that's completely illogical and you don't even think twice about it. Okay, so where do the three kings come from? Orientar. And where's that? East. Okay, the, the kings come from the east and they also see a star in the... In the what? What does the song say? Stan, what's the song say? Where's the star? 
Oh, he took a big old drink from his water bottle. They right see a star the in east. the east and follow it. Wait a second. So they are <laughs> in the east and they see a star in the east so and they follow it. They're east of Bethlehem. Yeah. They see a star in the east and yeah. follow it. Yes. Why would the Bible say that? Because God wanted them to go the whole way around, man. That's why they're two years late. They had to travel the whole way. This is actually a powerful apologetic because it shows that the Bible, biblical authors, knew that the earth was round. Yeah. Night, everybody. Thanks Good for night. being we're here. Um, so, but that's just like, it's put in our, like, we, we, there's, there's songs about that. They're from the east and they saw, saw a star in the east and followed. Now, the, re, the reason for that is, um, the, the way the language could work is east can also be used for rising. Yeah. So the, 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 the translations who are getting it right, the the kings, yeah. see the rising star, not the star in the east. Yeah, and, and, it's, and many modern translations, most modern translations, in fact, say that they saw a star rising. rising. But the very influential King James, which we've said before, it's amazing for its day, but it gets some important stuff wrong. Yeah. The, the King James and many others say they saw a star in the east yes the king james informs the sort of cultural imagination yes of the and and songs from the time period that a yeah. lot of christmas hymns come from so you have like this giant song um by what's her name from the wizard of oz judy garland judy garland nice judy garland from the um from the wizard of oz saying this incredibly beautiful song about the wise men following the star to the east and it not only isn't in the Bible, it just doesn't, straight up doesn't even make sense. Now, here's the biggest issue. Um, these guys aren't kings. And this is where it affects theology. Yes. Yes. It, it's very important. This isn't just, okay, there's no donkey. Maybe they didn't have a donkey. This is how it can matter. Because if you think that the point of the story is that, wow, even kings come to bow before this king, then you're missing the point. Mm-hmm. that the authors are trying to make. Remember, the first people who are there at the actual nativity, which is something we're going to get to in a second, are shepherds. They're Jewish, but they're outsiders culturally. They're not. They're dirty, unclean profession, mm-hmm. not really welcome among polite society. Now, the word that the Bible actually uses to describe these visitors is not kings, but magos, magoi, mm-hmm. the plural. Um, and that gets misunderstood a lot too because it's where we get our modern word for magic from. And so you'll sometimes hear people say that these were like magicians or sorcerers, but that's called a semantic anachronism when you read a a later meaning of a word backwards. At the time, it did not mean anything like what magic means to us now. Magoi, um, pretty well attested in a variety of cultures east of Israel. Um, Some kind of combination, think like, depending on where they are and the time period, some combination, wise man, advisor, priest even depending on mm. where and when think like a not necessarily bad guy version of jafar from aladdin with a little less magic mm-hmm. you know he's like advising the king he's yeah. present he's got a ton of but the way they wisdom. have the wisdom and the way they advise is based off of stargazing yeah they're astrologers one the ones. and um a lot of a lot of our knowledge about this is actually informed from um some of the kind of religious movements that have even persisted in areas that are east of Israel, um, particularly like the Persian religion, Zoroastrianism, still has some cultural threads that connect all the way back to these practices. Um, but these guys yeah, there's are... A, um, sorry. Did, yeah, go ahead. There's a, um, a scholar from... He wrote in the 1920s. I'll remember in a second. E.F.F. Bishop, I think. 
when the camera goes over to you, I'm going to Google it real quick. Yeah. To make sure I'm fact checking yeah. myself right. Um, but essentially, yeah, essentially he was doing research and he, um, he ran into a Bedouin community in the region, which is modern day Arabia. And the, the name of their tribe was something along the lines of those who study the stars. And they had a tradition that goes, that they said goes all the way back to that. Their forefathers were the, were the, the Magi that, went to baby Jesus. I fact-checked you, and you were correct about EFF Bishop. Really? So great knowledge, yep. Um, and yeah, and, and, and you're going to have a knee-jerk reaction depending on your Christian tradition of going like, oh, they're astrologers, so it's whack and bad. And maybe, it might be, but you got to know like Magoi is a broad term. It doesn't necessarily mean like pagan divination astrology. Yeah. Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are Magoi in mm-hmm. Babylon yeah. in the Old Testament. So that's you know. And even if they are, it's more to the point yeah. that God is inviting yeah. Gentiles who would not be expected to be here from the farthest regions type of thing and bringing them in. Now, another thing um, about these guys is that there's not necessarily three of them. Um, could have been four. Could five. have been two. Could have been 50. It doesn't say. Now, they give three gifts, mm-hmm. and that you know leads to a natural you know assumption that there might be three, but the text doesn't ever say they that. They might have needed to like have 10 dudes chip in. Yeah, that's right. Especially for the more expensive. All these gifts are pretty they're, pricey, they're actually. They're pretty pricey. Um, so we have no idea how many. Um, so it's, and, then, and then this is the final one. Many of you will probably have already heard this. But the most painful one is they're not there when Jesus is born. Mm-hmm. So I apologize to your nativity scene, but the wise men are not there on the night of Jesus' birth. It's just very clear in the text. Um, the, most, you know, the most telling thing is that Herod says like, hey, when did you guys see that star? And then after they leave, he checks in with his scribes. And the text says that based on what the wise men told him about when they saw the signs, he commissions to have all of the children two years old and under killed. So he is, Jesus is probably somewhere in the ballpark of two years old at this point. And that's also there in the language also. They don't, the, the narrative doesn't call him a baby or an infant. It calls yeah. him a child. And it's the word that's usually used for like toddlers and up. Yeah. So, so um, on this one, if there's a little bit more of a theological point, again, that's important, is that you're not coming up with bad theology if you picture three kings. There's nothing necessarily yeah. like ruining, but you don't have the beauty of the story that God is inviting Gentiles, non-Jewish people get invited to see the Jewish yeah. king. And, and that's, that's a big deal. They are presented as being as non-Jewish as you can imagine. Mm. I mean, it's, they are from the East. They are called Magoi. They're studying the stars. Um, and they show up and bring gifts and it's in beautiful fulfillment of here. I'll pull this up real quick too. Isaiah 60, right? Isaiah 60. Yes. Where they talk about people coming from Arabia. Yeah. There's debate about whether they came from like, you know, some people talk about Babylon, Persia, whatever it may be, but there's a, there's also a good chance from the region of Arabia. Yeah. It doesn't say necessarily, this is a long section. I wish we had time to read all of it. It talks about how um, this part that's highlighted actually helpfully, although I didn't highlight that today says nations shall come to your light and Kings to the brightness of your rising. So you have this kind of rising star imagery already. And then this is the key is at the end of the section, It says, the wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. That's just one example of of a messianic prophecy. You see similar stuff in Psalms. I think Psalm 72 has one also where this, this image, and this is actually why people started calling them kings relatively early. 
because there's prophecies about foreign kings coming. Mm-hmm. But the text doesn't say that these characters are kings. Um, but the idea is when the Messiah shows up, the nations, not just the Jewish people, but the mm-hmm. nations are going to come and bring gifts and serve him. And in the story, when they show up, they give him these incredible gifts that you know speak volumes uh, uh, symbolically about what's mm-hmm. happening. And then it says they worship him. So it's a, a powerful image. And like Isaac said, if you think it's about the fact that, oh, wow, look at these kings, you're missing the fact that, no, the point is these are outsiders. They, you know, they're not going to show up and worship the Jewish king unless it's the king the of The one kings. who has authority in Israel is the false pseudo king that wants to kill him. Right. And they basically show up asking for directions to the real king yes. of that guy, right? Yeah. Um, which is a polemic in and of itself. If you want to read more on any of this stuff, the book that's been most influential for me, and it's not a, I mean, there's tons of giant books and all kinds of stuff, but just a good basic read is, um, he's passed away, I believe now, like six, seven years ago, is Kenneth Bailey. And he has a book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. And you can read up on a lot of this stuff in that. In yeah, that. And, and much more than this also. Um, but really helpful cultural background for first century Jewish people living in this part of the world. Now, Here's a little trivia question. Fairly early on, Christian tradition settled on, hey, there's three of these guys. So we're talking like, I think, I didn't write it down, like fourth century maybe, like fairly early. And they actually assigned them names to. Yes. You know what their names are? I don't, but I knew, I did know this. Stan, you know the names of of the three Magoi? Tennessee. Tennessee Williams. I was actually going to say no, <laughs> but I know they're from Tennessee. I know that they're from. Know. Is Tennessee is east. Yeah, so their names are, I would not have known this either. I actually would have known one because one of them's named Melchior, and I've just always thought that's a cool name. It sounds like it's that out is. of Lord of the Rings. But the names are Gaspar, Balthazar, and Melchior. Those are not their names, just to be clear. I actually did write it down. Those names don't show up in anything written down until the 6th century. So not their names, but kind of fun. Um, So here, we're going to start to wrap stuff up here. Um, The last little teaser, we won't actually get into it, but, and this is our last thing we'll ruin about Christmas, is Jesus was Winkin, Blinkin, and Nod, Suzanne says, are the names of the three. (laughs) So here's the deal. Last thing we'll ruin, December 25th is almost certainly not the actual birthday of Jesus. Now, not impossible, but very, very unlikely. Got about a one in 360. Yeah. <laughs> and it's actually less likely than that because there's a few cues to let you know this is probably not the dead of winter, yeah. including things like you know the shepherds being outside at night, the fact that a census is being commanded that has people traveling. You wouldn't do that in the middle of winter. So probably not. Um, and you'll hear out in culture various claims about why we celebrate Christmas on December 25th. One that you probably hear a lot is, well, because Christmas is actually a pagan holiday. You're yeah, actually I saw celebrating that on today. I did too. I saw it twice on Twitter today. Tell me, you kn- tell me you know nothing of history. Without telling me you know nothing of yeah. history. Post this meme. Yeah. So people say no. It's because that was either the celebration of the birthday of Mithras. Or Sol Invictus Day, which are two completely different holidays from two completely different time periods, by the way. But you'll see Mm -hmm. both of those things out there. And so that's our teaser because that's what we're going to talk about next week. We did a little bit on this last Christmas. And this Christmas, we're going to do a much deeper dive into the um, supposed pagan origins of of Christmas. So come back next week and we'll talk about and bring questions if you have specific questions on that. But um, 
about the claim that Christmas is actually a pagan holiday and Christians shouldn't celebrate it. Um, everything from the Bible's against Christmas trees to, you know, it's actually Mithras's birthday, not Jesus's, and much, much more. So that's next week. But just to close up today, um, to reiterate the point Isaac made, when you're reading scripture, there's a, a term that we use in hermeneutics, which is called eisegesis. And eisegesis means to read meaning into the text. And that's the idea of you kind of taking all of your assumptions and so associations and what you're looking for and your interpretive biases and enforcing them upon the text. And what the good, faithful, biblical reader wants to do is exegesis, which is the opposite. You, bring, you do your best to bring the meaning out of the text that's actually there, intended by the author. And so, you know, it's not always like big, obvious, dramatic ways that we do that. A yeah. lot of the time, it's really subtle stuff like this. It's not even your fault. You've just seen a hundred different Christmas pictures in your life, and so you can't help but when you read it, if you're not reading carefully import all of this extra mm -hmm. stuff. And if you're doing it with the Christmas story, chances are all of us, including me and you are doing that in other places where it's going to yeah. be a little bit more dangerous. Um, and then finally, man, when you understand what the authors, what Matthew and Luke are doing with this story, you see these really powerful images of God in his very coming being so incredibly humble and not being like the Kings of this world and welcoming in the outsider and the stranger in all these different ways. Um, so yeah, read it faithfully. Matt Kirkland said those pagans really knew how to party. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. And don't feel bad. Like if you, again, if you, if you pictured it the wrong way, told your kids the wrong way, like, I, we said we watched the star. Like at yeah. the end of that cartoon, these little bad dogs become little Christian dogs. And if you don't cry when that happens. And you just want to tear up when yeah. the little bad doggies go, like, are we bad dogs? And they're yeah. like, man, we are, but we could try to be some good dogs <laughs> yeah. now because we've seen baby Jesus. And you're like, dude, this is powerful. This is good. So one, one, of the, one of the most powerful moments of that movie is the bad dogs are standing outside the stable, by the way, where Jesus was born. And they know that they don't deserve to be in there. Yeah. And the donkey named Boaz says, let them in. Yeah. And the bad guys get to come in too. I freaking cry every time <laughs> that happens, dude. So it's and powerful. So, it's super good. And, 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 you know, the most powerful thing about it is that story with all of its artistic liberties. Like my daughter, ever since the first time she saw that, her favorite character to play make-believe as mm -hmm. is Mary. Yeah. She takes a little blanket and puts it on her head. And she has her donkey named Bo, which is me. Because I have to give the donkey ride. There's another reason for that too. Yeah, hey, talk about it. <laughs> I really <laughs> set myself up for that one. But yeah, the the text is like this. There's like eight verses, like yeah. Saint Luke, and so you're gonna make, create a dramatic present. There's Chris. There's churches do Christmas plays. They yeah. do Easter plays. You're filling in the blanks. The main thing that you want to be doing is as you do that, you don't want to be contradicting scripture or coming to a wrong theological conclusion, um, or missing the main point, or that's missing being the taught. main point. So. We got it. Yeah, we got it. Have fun. Next week, is Christmas a pagan holiday or not? See you then. Have a good night, everybody.